Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. If you are with us uh, for a first time or relatively new, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. What a privilege to spend the morning uh, together with us here at Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, We are delighted to see familiar faces and new ones. Um, It's been a summer and uh, summer's finally warming up just in time for fall. And um, for those who want to get one little last bit of summer together, uh, next Sunday, August 20th, uh, following the service, there will be a fellowship day over at Wallace Sand State Park in Rye, New Hampshire. People are going to be gathering there uh, from uh, Trinity around 2 p.m. Um, and uh, just as a heads up, you know, you bring your own stuff that you would bring to a beach, uh, but you'll want to bring $15 for parking, and it is advised to maybe do that in advance. Advance passes are recommended. So again, that's next Sunday, uh, 2 p.m. at Wallace Sand State Park over in Rye. Um, soak up a little bit more of the summer uh, before it is no more. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be there to start, uh, but we're going to be in other places. Uh, the words will be on the screen as we go through it. This summer, we're in a series called Friendship with God. Uh, Next week, we wrap up that series. And then the last two weeks, if you will, of our summer season, uh, we will be hearing from one of our global outreach partners, uh, Don Parsons, on Sunday, August 27. Uh, For those who are familiar, um, Don is a part of Mission Eurasia, and he has been um, very invested in Poland and Ukraine and all of that region, and will be here to share more with us on what's going on and how we can continue to pray and support that work. Very much looking forward to that. Very glad that he will be with us. Um, and then um, uh, in, this, in September, uh, we will hear uh, an encouraging message on kindness and care from one another. And then in the fall, September 10th, we will kick off our fall stuff. And I don't want to say it because I'm not ready for fall, um, but uh, just giving you all a heads up. All right. You're there in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse, verse 30. The title of the message today is What Not to Do, or if you want a more positive spin, on how to be a friend. (laughs) Talking about friendship with God, specifically friendship with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at things not to do, but the inverse is also true. The things that we can do, how to be a friend of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It tells us about you. It tells us who you are. It tells us what you're like. It tells us what you do. It tells us what you are doing. It helps us see what we are and how we can live. And I pray that as we consider these words in this passage and others this morning, It would bring great comfort and courage uh, to our lives, and that you would help us to see living your way is best. Now, would you do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently read an article for kids entitled, How to Be an Awesome Friend. So here, if you're taking notes, you know, kids, this is where you would start taking some notes. How to be an awesome friend. Um, It closed with these awesome words. I want to Share them with you, and they'll be on the screen. Always remember that good friends are reliable, so keep your promises and do what you'll say you'll do. 
Good friends are there when someone's happy and sad. Good friends bring out the best in other people. Good friends stick together no matter what. Good friends are generous with their things and their time. That's a pretty good list. We certainly want our kids to have a desire to be that kind of friend and have those kinds of friends in their lives. We want to be that kind of friend, and we probably desire to have those kinds of friends in our lives. So take a moment right now and just maybe express gratitude in your heart for the kinds of friends that modeled that to you. Or express gratitude in your heart for God's work in your life that you've been that kind of friend to somebody else. Or maybe you're longing for that kind of friend, so maybe express that to God and say, Oh God, may these kinds of friends be in my life and may I be that kind of friend to someone else. Well, that being said, I do have some good news for us. I do have some good news on how we can experience such friendship with God. How we can experience that kind of friendship with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we're going to look at it very simply on being friends with the Holy Spirit. First of all, we're going to look at what not to do. And then we're going to look at how to be a friend. What not to do and how to be a friend as we consider friendship with God. So let's consider it in this way. Like in any relationship, the experience of the relationship is a two-way street. And so it is important for us to understand our way of the street our response to the friendship that God has established and is working and keeping. And so we're going to look at it first as what not to do. There are three things not to do with respect to friendship with the Holy Spirit. The first is what we started with here this morning in Ephesians 4.30, and that is do not grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, to refresh our thoughts, Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You might be thinking, what does that mean? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, let me first say what it doesn't mean, um, to just muddle it up with more negation. Here's what it does not mean to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Anyway, it does not mean that um, the nature and character of God is changing because of us. All right? The word for grieve can mean to make someone sorrowful or sad. And the Holy Spirit is God. We we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's the person of God. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit is God, it is impossible for God to lose his divine joy. God doesn't lose or diminish anything, any of his attributes, by anything that we do. So we need to be careful to, to not say something about God and his nature and his character is changing. But what does it mean then? If it doesn't mean something about God is changing, it does have an impact on our experience of our friendship with God, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It does have an impact on the nature and character of what that looks like in the experience of our lives. That's just an important distinction. As our friend, the Holy Spirit wants what is for our best. As our friend, the Holy Spirit wants for us what is indeed best. And guess what? As we talked about last week, here's what the best is. To trust Jesus and to grow more like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit wants for us. And as our friend, 
The Holy Spirit is committed to seeing this form in us throughout our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't, quote-unquote, joyful, if you will, when we reject following Jesus, when we think, feel, and do in ways contrary to who God is and what God has said and what God has done and what God is doing in our lives. I want us to keep, say, the context of what's happening in Ephesians in mind when we think about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are doing something very important. We were just recently in Ephesians, and so some of this may be fresh for many of you. But Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is helping us see how the gospel, the good news of how God has saved sinners to himself, shapes the way that we look at life and live it out, and forms the way that we look at life and live it out, transforms us as we look at life and live it out. The gospel keeps doing good news work in us, even as we are clinging to Jesus through faith. And the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in that. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 says it this way. So leading into what is said in Ephesians 4, 30, it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And to sort of bookend that thought, immediately after what is said here in 4.30 in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So the Holy Spirit is at work in helping us put off the old, Put on the new and walk in a new way toward Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, is committed to in this friendship. So to grieve the Holy Spirit is then to do the opposite. It's to, to, to ignore the new clothes, to want to put on our filthy, dirty clothes, and to go about it our own way. Essentially, it's, it's setting aside what the Holy Spirit's work is leading us to see in this life for something else that we would want or we think is more important. So, the call is to not grieve that relationship. To not strain that relationship by clinging to old, dirty clothes and old ways, but to embrace this new. That's one thing not to do. It's helpful for us to understand the dynamic of this relationship. We want to be good friends, so we don't want to grieve it. The second thing that we don't want to do is to quench. We we do not want to quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says it very bluntly. Do not quench the Spirit. So what's the difference here? So grieving the Holy Spirit is like putting on filthy clothes. Quenching the Holy Spirit is like putting on a wet blanket. Grieving is embracing dirty clothes. Quenching is putting on a wet blanket. Or, as I've referenced this throughout the summer, uh, Mike McKinley's wonderful little book called Friendship with God, which sort of served as the template for our series. He put it this way. 
Quenching the Holy Spirit, then, is like throwing a soaking wet log onto the fire of his work in us. Wet blanket, wet log, you kind of get the point here. To quench something that, that is happening in us. And the wet blanket or wet log that can show up in our lives can look something like these things here. Living ignorant of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know that the word ignorant carries with it a negative connotation as in terms of like a cut down or, or something disparaging. But I mean that just sort of very technically. We're just unaware of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We, we simply don't know what we don't know. And because of that, we don't realize that we're, there's a, a particular way in which the Holy Spirit is at work in us, leading us down a particular way in which we embrace Jesus with our lives. And we're just ignorant of that. And that can be a wet log on the fire of what God's purposes are in our friendship with the Holy Spirit. Or the wet log and wet blanket can be living aloof to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Aloof. It's a little different than ignorant. Aloof is really more about being comfortable in the way that you're living your life now. You like the benefits of Jesus, but you don't want Jesus to get too personal with you. And so it just sort of keeps it at arm's distance. Because if you get more involved in knowing who Jesus is, and knowing what the work of the Spirit is in our lives, the more things are probably going to have to change, and you just don't want to do that. So you just keep things aloof. Casual. Keep it casual. Another wet log that can be... used to quench the spirit is not just being ignorant, not being aloof, but then being apathetic, living apathetically to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's different than aloof. Aloof, you are liking some way of life that you already have, and you want to keep it that way. Apathy is you look at what the Spirit's work is to be in our lives, and you just simply don't want that. The difference. Don't want to, to grow more closer to Christ and reflect more of Christ in your life. Fourthly, a wet log or blanket that shows up in our lives is living in opposition to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Living in opposition. Just simply, flat out, rebelling. Knowing for sure what it is that God would have for us understanding it, desiring it even, but then just setting it aside for something entirely else. Just outright opposition. Those all can be quenching the Spirit's work in us. A wet blanket or a wet log on the fire. Now instead, though, the inverse or the, is true for us. Instead, we are to fan the flame so to speak. There's a wonderful passage at the very beginning of 2 Timothy, a New Testament letter, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read the words and then kind of explain it. So 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Interesting dynamic going on. Here we have a mentor, the Apostle Paul, writing to his mentee, Timothy. 
writing to encourage him to essentially not quench the Spirit. And so he says, fan into flame the gift of God. And what does that mean to fan into flame? Well, one level, it just simply means to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. To embrace it. God has given the gift of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people as an outpouring of his love. And so therefore, we need to know and understand in our embracing the work of the Holy Spirit is knowing that the Holy Spirit loves you. Knowing that the Holy Spirit loves you. Maybe your idea of the Holy Spirit is the most stoic, hard-hearted professor with the most unending red ink pen. And grading your life in every single millisecond. And there's nothing but red ink all over your life. This is wrong. 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 I don't even know what you were doing here. Did you even read the syllabus? Like, that is happening. Maybe that's your view of the Holy Spirit. To embrace this is to realize that the Spirit is a gift. It's an outpouring of God's love. And it's a... It's a gift that God pours out into our hearts. And it means that the Holy Spirit loves us and wants the best for us. Fanning into flame is embracing that reality. And as we do, it means we want to embrace what the Spirit is doing. So that's helping us to die to old ways. and Old clothes. And embracing new ways. The new pursuits that lead us further toward Christ and the way that we look at life and the way we live it out. Not because the Spirit has red ink, but because the Spirit loves us and wants what's best for us. And Jesus is what's best for us. That's part of fanning into flame. Instead of quenching it with the wet logs of our ignorance, our aloofness, our, our apathy, our opposition, instead embrace the fact that God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit so as to help us see that our best is Jesus. Now, those are two ways in which we'll, things that we are not to do. We are not to grieve and we are not to quench. And there's a third way, and it's even more serious, and that is do not resist. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. I want to read from Acts chapter 7. It's a powerful sermon that was delivered. Acts chapter 7 verse 51 says this. In the moment of culmination of this powerful sermon, the preacher says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Acts 7 is indeed a powerful sermon by a follower of Jesus named Stephen. It was so powerful, and he was preaching to the religious elites of his day. It was so powerful that it cost him his life. And what he said here is essentially that resisting the Holy Spirit is likened to rejecting the gospel. He called out the religious elites of his day, the very cohort that was behind the death of Jesus, for resisting the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, we see that the idea of resisting is an equivalent to rejecting God's redemptive purposes in Jesus. And when you go through the rest of Acts, and when you go through the New Testament after Acts, you find three things 
very closely related together. The powerful work of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of the gospel, and the salvation of the lost. You find them again and again and again linked together. Where the gospel is preached and the Spirit is at work, people get saved. And at the heart of this is the call to not resist the Holy Spirit, to not resist the gospel, to not reject God's gracious redemption offered in Jesus Christ. We find those things linked closely together. Especially important is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's an incredible picture of Paul's philosophy of ministry. This is his approach to ministry. These words have been formative for me and many others in ministry along the, along the history of the church. But here, listen to these words in terms of the work of the Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, and the salvation of souls. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Apostle Paul showed up and said, at the heart of all of what God is doing in history is Jesus. Jesus is the, the central mark and storyline of the entirety of God's word and in God's purposes in all of history. It's Jesus. So I showed up and I wanted you all to know the central storyline and how that shapes everything. And I didn't show up, he says, with all of the leadership skills where I'm speaking at all the conferences or all of the personality in which people just couldn't wait to, to just hear me powerfully proclaim this and that. I, I actually just showed up kind of ordinarily. I actually showed up with a whole bunch of my own sorts of weaknesses and idiosyncrasies. Nothing about me was compelling. And the reason why you believe this gospel isn't because I'm an incredible person. The reason why you believe this gospel, Paul says, is because of the powerful work of the Spirit. So we see this link together. The work of the Spirit, preaching of the gospel, and the salvation of the lost. Don't resist it. And that work of the Spirit continues on in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit continues, as we looked at last week, making much of Jesus to us and in us and through us. And if we belong to Jesus through faith, then we want that work to continue in us. We want the Spirit to be making much of Jesus to us and in us and through us. We don't want to resist it. This means, then, we don't go beyond the gospel, but rather we see how the gospel takes us onward, shapes the way that we look at life and live it out. And this is a two-way street. This relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, it's a two-way street. There are things that the Holy Spirit is committed to do and won't stop doing them. And our response to that is to, to embrace that and to not work against what the Spirit is working in us. So we are called to not grieve, to not quench, to not resist what the Holy Spirit is doing and making much of Jesus to us and in us and through us. 
So positively, though, what does that look like? How do we then go about being a friend? How do we be a friend to the Holy Spirit? How do we live in this two-way relationship with the Holy Spirit, responding to the work of the Spirit in our lives? Well, in short, in three simple little words, I would simply summarize it in this way. Keep in step. How do we be good friends with the Holy Spirit? We keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Consider Galatians 5.25. It says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Think about the first part of that verse. If we live by the Spirit, what is the Spirit doing? Well, the Spirit is, is first of all, the Spirit is performing an incredible heart transplant in our lives. The Spirit surgically comes into our heart and rips out our heart of stone. It's dead and it's hard like a stone. And then replaces it with a heart that is alive and beats with faith and repentance, trusting in Jesus. And that Spirit is continually at work helping us to know how to live in light of this new life that we have. So the Spirit bursts into our dead life, brings life, and then enables us and equips us and encourages us then to live. So if we live by the Spirit, if that heart surgery has occurred in us, then we want to keep in step with our surgeon. We want to keep in step with what the surgeon is telling us to do in order to live in light of the heart that we now have. So we keep in step with it. And a way to consider that is to know that the Spirit is helping us grow in holiness. To grow in holiness. Now I say that word because because that's part of how the Bible describes it. The Bible describes how our life in, the, in this life, following after Jesus, is a life that's growing in holiness. But maybe that word triggers a variety of kinds of responses for you. One is, maybe it, it, it causes you to be very cynical and suspicious. Because you have experienced maybe the worst of people, especially those who claim to be followers of Christ. They say one thing, but their lives are absolutely something else. Now, that's true in the sense for everyone. I mean, in, the, in, a, in a scale that there's a, there's a reality that we struggle, we're not perfect on this side of glory. But maybe there have been times in which we've been hurt by those who have claimed Christ, or we have seen the ugliness of humanity in the context of the church. And so it's very hard for us to get around that word holiness. Or maybe we look at or we hear that word holiness and we think, oh, my dear goodness, that is so far from me. There's no that that's that word is set aside for those who are like like all star Christians. That's not a word for me. I'm, I'm not even on the JV, let alone like like on the freshman team. You know, so so like I, that, that word isn't relevant for me in my life. There's no way that that could ever be true. So maybe the idea of growing in holiness that word has an obstacle for you. So let me encourage you with synonymous phrases. Some of the synonymous phrases are like growing in grace or growing in Christ. They're all getting at the same thing. We want to keep in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing, and that is helping us grow in grace and in Jesus and in holiness. Now, the reason why I want to use the word holiness is because the Bible uses it in such a way. And there are three things that I want us to think about real quickly together of what does it look like to keep in step. First, I want us to see and consider the Old Testament anticipation 
the New Testament fulfillment, and then our personal experience in it. So first, the Old Testament anticipation. You know what? God made an incredible promise in Isaiah 35. That incredible promise was that he would redeem and return the people to himself. Now, Isaiah, if you were ever to try to read it, uh, it's in the Old Testament, it's filled with a whole lot of bad news. The people of God rejected God, um, rebelled against God, abandoned God, didn't want anything to do with God. The people of God. And as such, God was giving them some bad news. Here are the consequences of you abandoning me. Here's what's going to happen. And it's devastating. It's terrible. But in the midst of all of the delivering of this bad news, God makes like otherworldly, incredible, overwhelmingly amazing, awesome, good news statements. That he would promise to bring about a great restoration. While he was leveling a verdict, rightly so, he was also delivering a promise. And in that promise, he says he would bring about a way of return for his people. In Isaiah 35, verse 8, he says this, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Well, I can say I'm glad that that's there for me. (laughs) I certainly don't want to presume upon you foolishness, but I'm thankful that it says, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. God made an incredible promise that there would be a way of return. A way of return. He wanted the people to know that. And so guess what? God not only wanted... Did he make this promise? But he wanted the people to anticipate the day when that way would come. And so later in Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, we get these words that are going to be a little more familiar for you. He says this, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. God promises that he's going to make a way back. And he says, I want you to anticipate this way back. And so I'm going to give you a clue to anticipate the way back. Somebody's going to be saying, hey, the way back's coming. Now the New Testament fulfillment. We find that the way back is Jesus. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection makes the way for our redemption and our return. And just so that we know that this is God's promise being fulfilled, we see that thing that we're to be anticipating happening. Mark's gospel account kicks off. He doesn't waste time or words. He jumps right into it. The very first three verses of Mark's gospel account. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is a sermon unto itself. Then he goes on to say, As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So this way is coming. The next person introduced in Mark is John the Baptist who is announcing, hey, the way is coming. And then Jesus bursts on the saying, here's the way. The way. Now, this is all a part of God's gracious work to redeem and return a people to himself. And now it sinks into our personal experience. He made a promise in the old. He fulfills that promise in the new. And the Holy Spirit is bringing us into the experience of that promise in our lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in us, in our lives, leading us to the way, putting us on the way, and enabling us to live on the way. 
The Spirit is enabling us to learn how to live on the way. How do you be a good friend to the Holy Spirit? You keep in step. You understand the way that the Spirit is leading. You embrace it. You follow it. To keep in step with the Holy Spirit is to follow on the way toward Jesus and who we are and how we live. Galatians 5 says, if we live by the Spirit, then we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, you might be familiar with Galatians 5. Some very familiar words in that passage. Consider what Galatians 5 says. In verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here is the way. And if you embrace this way, you will grow at not going back to old ways. Then for the next few verses, the author explains what that old way looks like. Not exhaustively, but just principally. And at the end of that explanation, he says, this is serious. This is a life and death matter. He says in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's that's a heavy statement that there are some who may say they're on the way, but aren't on the way at all. So it's a heavy, weighty return and call back to the gospel message. Here is how one is on the way. Embrace Jesus through faith. Then, in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What a gift. What does it look like on the way? What does it look like on the way to this great destination? Well, It looks a little bit like that. A little bit more love, a little bit more joy, a little bit more peace, a little bit more patience, a little bit more kindness, a little bit more goodness, a little bit more faithfulness, a little bit more gentleness, a little bit more self-control, taking a little bit more root and a little bit more of our lives. The Holy Spirit loves you, has what is best for you, will not bail on you, will not leave you behind will be with you every step of the way, no matter how big the strides of those steps might be. The Holy Spirit is the best kind of friend. And then our response to such a friend is to keep in step. To keep in step as the Spirit leads us in grace and holiness toward Jesus. So I want to close with you with words I began with, slightly adapted. Always remember that your friend, the Holy Spirit, is reliable, keeping his promises and doing what he said he would do. Always remember that your friend, the Holy Spirit, is there when you're happy And when you're sad. Always remember that your friend the Holy Spirit. Has the best for you. And will bring out the best. In you. Always remember that your friend the Holy Spirit. Sticks together with you no matter what. And always remember that your friend the Holy Spirit. Is generous with his power. 
and his presence in your life now and forevermore. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, and in it we find hope. We pray that you would do a good work in our hearts and encourage us in the ways in which we are living. Perhaps some of us in here are wrestling with the ways in which we may have been grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit or resisting the Holy Spirit. And I pray that right now that you would graciously care for, for those wrestlings. Bring conviction where it is needed. Bring comfort where it is needed. And God, help us to see that what you have for us is our best. And you have given us a friend, a friend who will stick with us through, the, through it all to the very end and beyond. Help us to embrace that friend and to keep in step with that friend, knowing that that friend has all that we need. God, and I pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.